Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Book 7, Chapter 10 of War and Peace. Cruising through this book. Book 7, Chapter 10. Can you believe that? Did this chapter end the way you thought it would? Were you expecting something else to come of the night, right? The Rostov children spend a bit of time reminiscing over their childhood and talking about philosophy. Did any parts of the text stand out to you here? Is there anything you think Tolstoy might have been trying to say in this section? Great chapter. I, I loved this chapter. Quite long, and it almost felt like it should have been broken up, but I think I know why it wasn't, because it starts with the Rostov kids, especially Natasha and Nicholas, uh, reminiscing about their youth and telling story, re- reliving their favourite moments of childhood and becoming giddy with each other as they reminisce and as they bring up all these different memories that they both have and some of those memories they're not sure if they were dreams or if they really happened because they were, you know, their, their childhood seems so joyful at this point that it's almost confusing between which bits were dreams and which bits were real. Um, so we, we kind of, Tolstoy establishes this state of nostalgia for those childhood moments of kind of reckless abandon. And then he goes right into one of those moments in real time. You know, it's like they're trying to have one last hurrah of childhood, right? One last ride. And they go out in the snow and there's fairy lights in the air, which I guess were the candles or something like that. And the, the cold air is zipping past their face in the dark and they can't even see where they're going. And everyone's laughing, everyone's in costumes. What a beautiful moment. I love the way that he uh, kind of established this theme of nostalgic childhood memories and then kind of had one play out. And then we get Sonia, who's been there all along, but just feels like she's just on the outside of this. She's just on the outside of those memories for the Rostov kids. Um, until she puts on her costume. And then when she's in a costume and she can be anyone, she really comes alive. I don't know. I think he was trying to say a lot, Tolstoy, in this chapter. And I think he did well. Ripster 66 says, what a different chapter this was. We had a hunting party, bored silly Natasha, clueless count hemorrhaging money, and then this insane night ride that felt otherworldly. Good word for it. The spontaneity of dressing up and heading out into the night speaks to the boredom felt by the younger folk and their mad desire to do something different. The way Nikolai kept wondering where they were made me think they were going to either get lost or have a terrible accident. It seems they were being quite reckless, a young, as young folk often are, when they've been cooped up and bored. It's a shame their philosophical discussion didn't last longer. It seems they were ripe for digging into some big concepts. But then Natasha had to perform and have her big finish cut off abruptly. Her hysterics are understandable. I think I'm interrupted from stimulating conversation to perform like a trained monkey only to be cut off by my younger brother. What is the point of all this? This chapter felt very different, and I think that was the point. The excitement of a reckless night, night ride feels totally out of place because these characters don't get to do something like this very often. They've broken out of their mould for a moment and feel more alive as a result. 
Well, hey, great uh, comment, Ripster66. Um, oh, man, I love this chapter. The more I think about it. This chapter, says Twisted Every Way, had a very last hurrah feeling about it. Hey, isn't that weird that we use the same term to describe it? I hadn't read that comment before. Uh, everything seems merry and cosy at the Rostov household, but there is a very big sense of foreboding over the whole thing. There have been so many weird comments about Natasha marrying Andre. I just don't see this happening. Or, if it does, something terrible is going to happen. There's just way too much foreshadowing going on here. Also, when is Nikolai going to ask Sonia already? What's he waiting for? Yeah, okay. What is he waiting for? Good question. Um, all right, beautiful. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. I'm ready to read chapter 11. My brain is ready to fall asleep. <laughs> I'm very tired. I had a job interview today. Uh, my fourth job interview in, I reckon, the last two months, I reckon, or so. Yeah. Maybe my, oh no, more than four. Sorry, I think I've had about six job interviews in the last six weeks, I'd say. I've got, I had one today and I've got another one tomorrow. So, um, that's cool. Oh, and I got a job. I don't know if I told you guys this. I got a job, uh, a little temporary job, casual um, job, as a census field manager. Field manager for the census data collection. So that should be interesting. It only goes for a, a couple of months, but eh, something to do. All right, anyway, that's why I'm tired. And that's why chapter 11 goes like this. Palagaya Danilovna Melyukova, a broadly built, energetic woman wearing spectacles, sat in the drawing room in a loose dress, surrounded by her daughters whom she was trying to keep from feeling dull. They were quietly dropping melted wax into snow and looking at the shadows the wax figures would throw on the wall when they heard the steps and voices of new arrivals in the vestibule. Missars, ladies, witches, clowns and bears, after clearing their throats and wiping the hoar frost from their faces in the vestibule, came into the ballroom where candles were hurriedly lit lighted. The clown, Dimla, and the lady, Nicholas, started a dance. Surrounded by the screaming children, the mummers, covering their faces and disguising their voices, bowed to their hostess and arranged themselves about the room. Dear me. There's no recognising them, and Natasha, see whom she looks like, she really reminds me of somebody. But her Dimmler, isn't he good? I didn't know him, and how he dances. Dear me, there's a Circassian, really. How becoming it is to dear Sonia, and who is that? Well, you have cheered us up, Nikita and Vanya. Clear away the tables, and we are sitting so quietly. Ha ha ha. The hussar, the hussar, just like a boy, and the legs, I can't look at him. Different voices were saying these things. Natasha, the young Malyakov's favourite, disappeared with them into the back rooms where a cork and various dressing gowns and male garments were called for and received from the footman. Oh, I just lost my place. Received from the footman. By bare girlish arms from behind the door. 
Ten minutes later, all the young Melikovs joined the mummers. Pelagea Danilovna, having given orders to clear the rooms for the visitors and arranged about refreshments for the gentry and the serfs, went about among the mummers without removing her spectacles, peering into the faces with a suppressed smile and failing to recognise any of them. It was not merely Dimla and the Rostovs she failed to recognise. She did not even recognise her own daughters or her late husband's dressing gowns and uniforms which they had put on. And who is this? she asked her governess, peering into the face of her own daughter dressed up as a Kazan Tatar. I suppose it is one of the Rostovs. Well, Mr. Hussar, and what regiment do you serve in? she asked Natasha. Here, hand some fruit jelly to the Turk, she ordered the butler, who was handling handing things around. That's not forbidden by his law. Sometimes, as she looked at the strange but amusing capers cut by the dancers, who, having decided once for all that being disguised no one would recognise him, were not at all shy. Pelagea Danilovna hid her face in her handkerchief, and her whole body shook with irrepressible, kindly, elderly laughter. My little Sasha, look at Sasha, she said. After Russian country dances and chorus dances, Pelagea Danilovna made the serves serfs and gentry joined in a one large circle a ring a string and a silver ruble were fetched and they all played games together in an hour all the costumes were crumpled and disordered the corked eyebrows and moustaches were smeared over the perspiring flushed and merry faces Palagaya Danilovna began to recognise the mummers admired their cleverly contrived costumes, and particularly how they suited the young ladies, and she thanked them all for having entertained her so well. The visitors were invited to supper in the drawing room, and the serfs had something served to them in the ballroom. Now to tell one's fortune in the empty bathhouse is frightening, said an old maid, who lived with the Melikovs during supper. Why, said the eldest Melikov girl, you wouldn't go, it takes courage. I'll go, said Sonia. Tell what happened to the young lady, said the second Melikov girl. Well, began the old maid, a young lady went out once, took a cock, laid the table for two, all properly, and sat down. After sitting a while, she suddenly hears someone coming. A sleigh drives up with harness bells. She hears him coming. He comes in, just in the shape of a man, like an officer, comes in and sits down to the table with her. Ah, ah, screamed Natasha, rolling her eyes with horror. Yes, and how did he speak? Yes, like a man, everything quite all right. And he began persuading her, and she should have kept him talking like a cock crow, but she got frightened, just got frightened, and hid her face in her hands, and he caught her up. It was lucky the maids ran in just then. Now, why frighten them, said Pelagea Donalovna. Mum, Mamma, you used to try your fate yourself, said her daughter. And how does one do it in the barn? inquired Sonia. Well, say you went out to the barn now and listened. It depends on what you hear. Hammering and knocking, that's bad. But a sound of shifting grain is good, and one sometimes hears that too. Mama, tell us what happened to you in the barn. Pelagea Dolovna smiled. Oh, I've forgotten, she replied, but none of you would go. Yes, I will, Pelagea Danilovna. Let me, I'll go, said Sonia. Well, why not, if you're not afraid? Louisa Ivanovna, may I? asked Sonia. 
whether they were playing that ring and string game or the ruble game or talking as now, Nicholas did not leave Sonia's side and gazed at her with quite new eyes. It seemed to him that it was only today, thanks to that burnt cork moustache, that he had finally fully learned to know her. And really, that evening, Sonia was brighter, more animated and prettier than Nicholas had ever seen her before. So that's what she is like. What a fool I've been, he thought, gazing at her sparkling eyes and under the moustache. A happy, rapturous smile dimpled her cheeks, a smile he had never seen before. I'm not afraid of anything, said Sonia. May I go at once? She got up. They told her where the barn was and how she should stand and listen, and they handed her a fur cloak. She threw this over her head and shoulders and glanced at Nicholas. What a darling that girl is, thought he, and what have I been thinking of till now? Sonia went out into the passage to go to the barn. Nicholas went hastily to the front porch, saying he felt too hot. The crowd of people really had made the house stuffy. Outside there was the same cold stillness and the same moon, but even brighter than before. The light was so strong and the snow sparkled with so many stars that one did not wish to look up at the sky, and the real stars were unnoticed. The sky was black and dreary, while the earth was gay. I am a fool, a fool. What have I been waiting for? thought Nicholas, and running out from the porch, he went round the corner of the house and along the path that led to the back porch. He knew Sonia would be passed that way. Halfway lay some snow-covered piles of firewood and across and along them a network of shadows from the bare old lime trees fell on the snow and on the path. This path led to the barn, the log walls of the barn and its snow-covered roof that looked as if hewn out of some precious stone sparkled in the moonlight, a tree in the garden snapped with the frost, and then all was again perfectly silent. His bosom seemed to inhale not air, but the strength of eternal youth and gladness. From the back porch came the sound of feet descending the steps. The bottom step upon which snow had fallen gave a ringing creak, and he heard the voice of an old maidservant saying, Straight, straight, along the path, miss, only don't look back. I'm not afraid, answered Sonia's voice, and along the path toward Nicholas came the crunching, whistling sound of Sonia's feet in her thin shoes. Sonia came along, wrapped in her cloak. She was only a couple of paces away when she saw him, and to her, too, he was not the Nicholas she had known and always slightly feared. He was in a woman's dress, with tussled hair and a happy smile, new to Sonia. She ran rapidly toward him. Quite different and yet the same, thought Nicholas looking at her face all lit up by the moonlight. He slipped his arms under the cloak that covered her head, embraced her, pressed her to him and kissed her on the lips that wore a moustache and had a smelt and had a smell of burnt cork. Sonia kissed him full on the lips, and disengaging her little hands pressed them to his cheeks. Sonia, Nicholas, was all they said. They ran to the barn and then back again, re entering he by the front and she by the back porch. Alright, there we go. There's a great chapter. I love this bit of the book. Um, Nicholas and Sonia. Wow. Wow. Can't wait to see what you guys have got to say about that one over on the subreddit. Thanks for listening and I will see you tomorrow.